my man. Yo, what's up, dude? Yo, I'm stoked <laughs> that you get to be the second episode of this. Yeah, thanks for asking me to come back. I can't believe you didn't get enough last time, but uh, apparently there's more to uncover. <laughs> <laughs> there is never enough. Real quick, before we start anything, do you have that giant bootleg on hand? Oh, I do. Yeah. Hang on. Do you want me to grab it? I, well, because I still haven't seen it. Like, I saw oh, the you're... picture, but I, like, never saw it in person. All right. Hang on just a second. Let me grab it. Yeah. Normally, uh, my office is easier to navigate, but because I... <laughs> Got a toy making set up behind me and like cuts off half the room. If I would have known it was a feat, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have asked for it. No, it, it shouldn't be a feat. It should have been super easy. But uh, here, look at this beauty. Look uh, at this freaking thing. He's ridiculous. <laughs> the fact that it's faker color is like the best. Oh my gosh. And, and then, then he. It, yeah, what like, is that? It looks like a lightsaber hilt. I don't think it's supposed. I, mean, I think like at some point there was probably a sword attached. Yeah. And they cut it off and they made the mold for the blow mold. Um, but who knows? What's it feel oh, like? What, what's like, is it super light, like red cast? Yeah. It's like, it's probably blow mold cast. Uh, it's super light. I mean, this thing doesn't even weigh a pound. Like it's, and it feels like if I squeeze it hard enough, the whole thing will just like crumble, <laughs> <laughs> which makes it even better. But. Yeah, man. I freaking love it. Thank you so much. Rad. Yeah. Well, we had talked about all kinds of <laughs> bootlegs and stuff. And I think I, I'm able to bounce ideas off you. And I like, yeah. I'm willing to call. And you're, for some reason, willing to answer that call. Hey, man, so, I enjoy it. So it's, it was just yeah. a moment to say thank you so much. <laughs> and like, I've got, uh, you can't see it. I'll show you when my laptop's not tied down to all the monitors. But it's set up with my like my loose toy collection, so it's just this horde. Let me see if I can get away. Can you can sort of see it over there? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like now positioned right next to the Bill and Ted's uh, Wild Stallions album. There we go. <laughs> like, so in my little, uh, I hope uh, people at some point ask like what it is or where <laughs> it came from, and you can just make up some convoluted. The, like most people that come into my office look at all the random crap in here, and they're like whatever (laughs) (laughs) you know there's this giant blue puffy blow mold he-man but it's next to like four grimace action figures and a vinyl toy of the guy that played godzilla and a huge hulk and a giant whale monster i mean it just it makes no sense at all so i envision when they made that he-man that they put a picture up on this thing and they were like we got to get as close to that as possible (laughs) and then just started making some kind of mold I think you're giving them way too much credit. <laughs> I think someone was like, you know, it's popular, this He-Man thing. And then someone's like, oh, I've got a figure. Let's increase it until we get it big. And then they made a yeah. out of that. I don't know. The guy to ask is Yo-Yo Dine. Like, he's an encyclopedia huh. of, like, actual bootleg stuff. Yeah. There was stuff that I was calling Mexican bootleg. And he's like, oh, no, that's actually from this part of Taiwan or whatever. He's like, oh, okay, cool. That yeah. dude knows a ton. He is, he's one of my favorite people because there's so much going on up here. Yeah. And we, he's doing that six part series for me at the end of this month. Right. Yeah. And uh, at, are you going to be at designer con? Yeah. Okay. So I have a question then. Okay. And I think you might be a fit for it. Okay. Like a recap of the day. 
Yo-Yo Dine, myself, and I'm going to ask Chicken Burger Disco, and now you. He wants to have like a round table. Oh, cool. And that would go on. Because people have asked if I'm going to make content for it, and I don't think they understand like in a convention center, you're mm-hmm. not recording clearly. It's so I did, you can actually see a little bit of it online. I did something for Toy Geeks in 2019. Yeah. Where we were like shooting live on the show floor and it was a nightmare. Okay. Like trying to shoot and edit live on the show floor. And then um, just like the sound is a mess. Like yeah. even we had lav mics and you still couldn't hear. We had handhelds, it was still loud. Um, and then just trying to get it like edited and up while other things are going on. Cause the plan was, we're just going to constantly put stuff up all day. Yeah. And it, it didn't happen that way. The content we made was good, but it didn't happen the way we wanted to. So it's really hard yeah. to do stuff live off the show floor or even like produced off the show floor. So, I mean, go for it, but I would definitely be aware that it's, it's tough to do it. And tough oh to yeah. Do. And I, and I figured it like, I had the original plan of like, Oh, why don't I I'll rent out a or try to get a booth or something through press. And then, have people come up two mm-hmm. things are wrong with that you can't hear anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the artists are all like busting their ass selling yeah. stuff yeah that's so, i mean we got we got because that's what we were doing we like had artists yeah. come over and play games and we filmed it and and we got some great artists like alex party came over and um uh, I'm, I'm blanking out on who else. Oh, uh, uh, Peter Killer Bootlegs came over, mm-hmm. and a bunch of art, other artists. You know, the, the, the horrible adorables came over, and um, so we got a lot of people that came over and did stuff with us. But it's hard to get them away from their table. They're yeah. there to sell, and then when they're not selling, they want to like hang out with friends and not necessarily yeah. do interviews. So it, it's possible and it's fun, but I definitely would say plan ahead. And if you're gonna do it, like pre-book as many of the interviews as you can, which is also hard to do because again people are busy yeah and i for sure so at this point i've just said how about we all just walk around and whatever we see things that we are interested in or whoever we talk to we just sit and talk about it at the round table with beer or something yeah i think that's a good idea like do like like a like a push like if you walk around and shoot b-roll of the things you thought were cool yeah and then do um even with like your cell phones yeah. And then we do like a, a round table, like what did we love from day one or whatever. I don't even know what days I'll be there. In theory, I'll be there all, all two days or both days. Like, well, I guess three because there's pre- preview night on Friday, right? Yeah, I'll just be there Saturday. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So even if you yeah. just did like a one day where like we shoot stuff and then either sit down together and do like a taped post mortem or like even do a Zoom like yeah. the next day or the day after with all four. And then you just have to edit it together quickly and, and put it up. But. Oh yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> here is the, the rub right here. So you have come back. Cause I, I think a lot of people value what you have to say. Oh, and I think, <laughs> and I think <laughs> that uh, since you are in this and you're well known, regardless of how long you've been around or regardless of like, if you, are doing behind the scenes stuff with DKE. We know you as a toy maker. Right. And so uh, I think you now, I want you to enter the discussion of like this scene, where we've seen it come from, where it's head, like, where do you see this go? Like, what's the point of this all? Cause I think in talking to different artists and then talking to culture pop, we're going through this weird phase where mm-hmm. if it stops here, it's going to just plummet. Like it's going to stop abruptly mm-hmm. or it could break through this glass ceiling and keep going and 
So right. all that. Yeah. So I, I don't like I, I being so new to this, I think it, it would be such a saddening thing to come in towards the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't and I don't think you are, though. I mean, I think. Yeah. I mean, look, whether this is going to break through and become some mainstream accepted thing is a weird conversation to have. I like if you look at lowbrow art in general, mm -hmm. it's still just barely being accepted by the quote unquote art world at yeah. large. And, and even then kind of begrudgingly, like they'll accept a few artists and peace people and whatever. And, you know, you get your, your Jeff Koontz and, and, you know, guys like that who, who break through, but, but in general, lowbrow is still not considered like by the establishment, the art establishment. It's, you know, I'm no expert, but you know, my yeah. experience of talking to people as, you know, the same as, as like a fine art would be considered. Um, mm. And we're like a niche of a niche of a niche of lowbrow. Yeah. So, so, so to have this break into mainstream has got, is got a lot of challenges. Um, one of the big ones being that what we make when we do it really well, I, I should rephrase that. What a lot of us make when we do it really well are things that look like they're supposed to be on a shelf. Mm. Right. So I'm making something and, and for the way my work goes, if, if it looks like it belongs kind of in target, I mean, not exactly, but if it, if it looks like a toy, if it looks yeah. like a toy, then I've done my job right. Right. That's what I'm striving for. But in doing that, I'm also, kind of limiting a little bit the value that I can put on it because people look at the work and say, well, why would I pay $75 for your cow action figure when I can go to Target and pay 12 for yeah. an action figure of a superhero that I know, you know? So um, so there, there's a little bit of a limitation just on when the form is a lot based on homage and mimicry. And I think when it's at its best, mm -hmm. uh, it's doing that really well. It's doing this parody. What we talked about last time, right? The two or three degrees off of normal is what makes good parody. Like Which you did so well for the Twilight Zone show. I, I'm really happy with that piece. Uh, for anyone that hasn't seen it, <laughs> if you go to earthtokentucky.com and click on the Twilight Zone show, um, my first piece back in, what, two years yeah. was I took this concept of doing a show a piece for a twilight zone themed show and i made a gary larson far side tribute called the tri-tip zone and so, so it's good. like it's called rod sirloin and it's a cow and it's very my humor and i don't know <laughs> if anybody else even gets it but i was happy with it so yeah. um <laughs> i appreciate you saying that because I'm, I'm proud of how it turned out and that's yeah. the first time i've ever hand i've ever drawn my own part art usually i just photoshop it that's the okay so drew it so all the, the piece I'll have coming out of Decon through DKE for the 20s art show, that's also a piece that I, I drew myself. So I'm venturing into sort of a new area playing with, with my art. But yeah, um, yeah, I certainly don't think uh, Rod Sirloin is going to keep the scene alive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. Like, look, the, the scene is, is generated by the people that are in it. And if, if we're enjoying it, like obviously we wanted to grow we want people to see it and and we want people to buy our work yeah but ultimately everybody has to decide why they're doing it you mm -hmm. know and and for those of us that don't rely on this financially like we'll keep the scene alive just by continuing to do it you know by continuing to make pieces and put them out there and 
And um, we get new eyes when lots of people see it. We get new eyes, even though a lot of a lot of artists, it's a little ancestral that we're all sort of buying our own work and we all promote yeah. each other's work and whatever. But like, you know, I I have a lot of followers that are from my TV career and I've got followers from other areas that I've met. And I've been really lucky that my work doesn't just sell within the toy community. My work mm -hmm. for some reason is connected with lots of people outside of the toy community. Um, and so that brings new eyes into the toy community. And, you know, I don't know, for every 20 people I bring in, if one of them is like, Oh, what's this? And then clicks on barbarian rage or clicks on yucko or clicks on, yeah. you know, Healy or whoever, like that's a new set of eyes that wasn't there before. Um, but that's the real challenge. I think the challenge is not, trying to legitimize it, it the challenge is trying to just get people to see it mm -hmm. and then and then understand what it is and that's that's the hardest part is the number of family gatherings i've gone to when they're like can you explain what you do <laughs> like, like, hell I mean, no. I, yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> i can i can explain i know you're probably gonna still be confused after i explain it but um there's definitely we cater to a certain mentality, you know, yeah. and, um, people that don't share our point of view on pop culture or toys or entertainment probably aren't going to get the jokes as well as people that do, or not even jokes, but just like why we're doing what we're doing, you know? Yeah. I still, uh, my mom constantly, like she knows what I do and she constantly will talk to my niece and she's like, well, maybe you'll get your uncle to make you a toy. And it's like, I don't think you know what I do. <laughs> right. I don't think she could have a toy that I've made. Right. And Norm, would she potentially want a toy that Yeah. Would, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. I don't I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder how many metalsmiths sit around and talk about what's the future of their scene. Mm -hmm. You know, how many bronze sculptors are getting together and wondering, oh, I don't know if our scene's gonna evaporate in in five years. Like, why are we as a scene so focused on the like where's the scene going mm -hmm. like, just make cool shit man like i and, and look and i i i think about it too i'm not i'd be a hypocrite to say it doesn't cross my mind yeah um but i've kind of gotten to a point where i'm more interested in just making things that make me feel good and then supporting my friends who make stuff that i like and I really hope that we have this growing scene and it continues to grow and more people find it and we find new audiences. But if not, I'm not going to stop making. Yeah. I just, I like making, you know? Um, and uh, I think that's true. A lot of the guys in the scene uh, and, and girls in the scene is, um, you know, uh, they're going to make what regardless. Uh, I, I don't, I used to call myself a toy artist and I don't say that anymore. I say artist because I want to dabble in a lot of different mediums. I feel mm -hmm. like toys, even though it's my primary um, sort of form uh, is not the only thing I do. And it's not the only thing I want to be known for. And I think uh, a lot of the artists in the scene are sort of doing that as well uh, is moving beyond just the toys and saying, well, what else? You know, I also paint, I also write music. I also yeah. make guitars. I also, you know, and, how do all of these things come together to make one creative person? Um, yeah, I think that's sort of more important than just the direction the scene's going. But you know, it, it, it's a weird question. It's a hard, it's a hard question because who knows? We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, in a galaxy of bootleg treasures, 
DOV2, we have engine failure. We must crash land on DKE to a planet. Oh my, we're doomed. Wait, salvation. Hooray, we're saved, DOV2. Limited edition custom artist made action figures and DKE toys. Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures. DKE. Yeah, I find um, it's easy to get eyes from the outside on it when it doesn't matter. Like mm -hmm. for me, it was like, I don't know. I Because I, like currently I'm working on two original characters. Like I'm going to develop backstories, all that stuff. But that's only exciting for people that are in the toy scene. Sure. And then, I, yeah. And it might get, it might go from there depending on if there's comic books or whatever. But like, for right now, the process and the ideology or the ideation of it is like it's only exciting for the toy people. It seems like, yeah. But I made well, it. Actually, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to catch up. If I can take that one step further, and this is going to sound negative, and I don't want it to. Yeah, let's. Uh, I don't mean shit to. <laughs> let's really bring this one down. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Patreon supporters. Um, <laughs> it actually doesn't really matter to anybody but you. Oh well, there you go. Right. So like like. In your, you're creating your own toys and your own characters and your own universe, right? Mm. It's meaningless to everybody but you mm. until you give it meaning and you convince us that it's worth looking at. Okay. Right. Star Wars as a concept is totally worthless if the movie hadn't convinced an entire generation that it was worth following. Okay. Right. So any original character, any original thing, it's, it feels so big in your head because it takes up so much space in there. And that's great. It should feel big there. Once you've made the pieces, then it's your job as the artist and the creator to convince everybody else that it's as big in, in real life as it is in your head. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, um, you know, so I think a lot of people in the toy scene are like, yeah, let's do original stuff. But a lot of people are like, no, nah, I'm fine doing what, like I, I don't need to create original characters. Yeah. I've done that before. And, and this is not criticizing you doing it because I think more people should do it. I love people are making original characters. I'm super drawn to that. Mm -hmm. um, but my own work doesn't thrive in that way right now. My own work is having a lot more fun playing off of existing things and twisting yeah. existing things. Um, and that's just where I'm sitting right now. Like there's original stuff I'd like to do. You know, I've, I've done that. I had, I had a comic book come out God, seven or eight years ago, maybe even more at this point. Um, that almost became a TV show, and there's a whole story around that. So I've, I've played in the original character pit before. Um, and right now I'm just enjoying messing around with what's out there, like skewing yeah. the view of what's out there already. Um, but yeah, it, 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 whether it's an original piece or whether it's, you know, Dom Rod Sirloin, <laughs> the cow host, it's our job as artists to get people to care about what we made. Yeah. Um, and that sounds a little, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it sounds a little like gross, but like that's what we have to do. But, you know, our passion only ex extends to the end of our work. And I kind of um, like that, though. Like if you, people, other people's passions are usually ignited by your passion. Absolutely. And absolutely. So if you aren't igniting others around you, maybe you don't have that passion that you think you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's it's also easy to to confuse your own excitement with like 
with with passion. You know, I'm excited about a new project. I'm really excited about this character and I'm really into it and I'm working on it. And it's just, it's really easy to project that onto everybody else. Oh, absolutely. You know, because I love this, everybody's going to love that. And it's it's not true. Um, yeah, I, which, okay. So I want a tangent on this because I think yeah. we're talking about something that, so at one point I uh, had sent stuff to be reviewed on one of the DKE things. And the review that came out of it was, these are funny or these are cool. Mm -hmm. You should try making your own stuff, Mm -hmm. which not in a negative light. It was like, just make your own stuff. Sure. And so in my head, for some reason, I had put that on a pedestal, like, oh, at some point, I will get there. Right. And and, yeah, there are voices in the scene that beat that drum very, very loudly. And they're not wrong. Yeah. But that's, you, you've got to remember that everyone's got their own particular point of view. So, yeah. so while I think it is awesome to make your own characters, and I think ultimately it is safer because you're probably not going to get sued because you're in, infringing on all these different copyrights or whatever, yeah. right? Um, I don't think that's a higher peak to climb than making a really great referential toy. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's all world building. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm doing point break two, I'm still building a world. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just jumping off a starting point. Right. The same thing with, with Rod Sirloin, you know, the, the far side uh, twilight zone character, I'm building a world around that. If you look at that toy and you can see what the world is from looking at that toy, then I feel like I've done my job right. Yeah. I didn't create a new character per se. I mean, I took two existing things and I looked at it through a weird lens and this is what came out of it. Um, I mean, I guess it's a new character that there wasn't a cow named Rod Sirloin who hosted a sci-fi TV show before, but (laughs) I'm not writing backstory for it. You know, it it is what it is. And if you can look at the card and get the joke, then great. And if you can't either, I didn't do my, my job right. Or that joke wasn't for you. Yeah. Um, You know, so I think it's super noble and awesome to create your own stuff, but I don't mm-hmm. think there's any position that makes that higher than doing a good referential piece. Yeah. Um, I don't know where, cause like I can, I, I think what I was saying earlier is I can get more eyes on the scene if I make a joke piece, cause then sure. other people buy that, which is cool, right. but they're not collectors. Like I right. made a Ace Ventura face coming out of a rhino's ass, mm-hmm. which was super fun. And I think I sold like six of them great means nothing to like, I put no heart and soul into that. Nothing. Right. Right. And I think uh, for some reason I put the make your, like make your own stuff high in my head. And I was like, Oh, maybe that's my next whatever. And now it still feels like that's an achievement to reach. But the more that you and I are talking right now, it also feels like that, seems like it's exiting the bootleg scene or this knockoff toy scene almost, doesn't it? No, I don't think it is. I mean, it depends on how you're approaching it. Uh, yeah. And um, I mean, look, Barbarian Rage is making all of his own characters from his own sculpts. Yeah. He's still as much part of the scene as anybody else. You know, yeah. I don't, I, I, it, it's, the bootleg part of the bootleg scene gets real confusing (laughs) and and it gets a little limiting, right? Like, well, if you're not knocking things off, then you're not doing it right. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think it it comes in the same thing. Like I understand why people say make your own original stuff because the entry point bar is much lower for 
let's mash things together, mm-hmm. right? It's a lot easier to do that. Um, a well-done piece is a well-done piece, though. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, look, Pendragon is blowing me away right now uh, his with work the original stuff that he's incredible. Making. It's so great. But it's great because he has this foresight and this thought that the way it's packaged and the way the figure looks. And yeah. I honest to God don't know if he's bootlegging pieces together or not, or if he's designing it in ZBrush or whatever. I don't know his process. I like, I'm super late to the Pendragon game. I, I'd heard about it and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. And then like one day I, I was on his Instagram page and I was like, why have I not been collecting this guy forever? So I bought the piece he did with Pez Banana with a lenticular back, and it, mm. which is incredible. But a well-done piece is a well-done piece, regardless of whether it pulls from other sources or not. Killer Bootlegs is another great example, right? The original Phantom Star Killer is a bootleg figure. It's pieced Mm -hmm. together from a bunch of different figures. He just took it in this whole other direction, right, where he created his own backstory, similar to what Sucklord's been doing the whole time, taking existing pieces and creating a backstory. Um, So, you know, I I think that, that... yeah, there's something awesome about that. But a well-done piece is a well-done piece, regardless of if it's pulling from pop culture or if it's completely original. Um, yeah. So I, I understand why people think that. I think it's also because it's a lot harder to sell an original piece than it is to sell a referential piece because mm-hmm. you have to completely educate the audience from zero. So I, I see how you feel like there's a bit more clout to selling a piece that I came up with completely by myself because... I didn't have the uh, advantage of someone looking at it and being like, Oh, cool. That's Marty McFly or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so I get that, but, but for me, a, a well done piece is a well done piece. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since we, we did the last interview, I've had a lot of good conversations with people who've reached out and some of them are people I knew and some of them are people I haven't really talked to much. And yeah. A, a lot of it tends to come back to this idea of ideation and, why do you make what you make? Like, how do you choose what you're going to make? So I started really thinking about like, what's this process that I go through when I'm deciding what I'm going to make. And in Barbarian Rage and I were talking about it a little too. And I actually came up with a list of six questions that I just naturally ask myself Mm. when I'm starting down, uh, like to do a figure. Um, So the first question is, do I love this idea? That's the very first thing. If I don't love the idea, I shouldn't be entertaining it past that. Yeah. Like put it in a book, like write it down and maybe I'll like it more later. But I have plenty of mold sitting unused because I thought the idea was fine or I thought the idea would sell. And then I made it and I hated it and I never finished it. Mm. So, so the first question I asked myself was, do I love the idea? The second question is, can I actually execute this? And what's mm. going to be involved with doing that? Then I say, okay, well, considering the execution, do I actually want to make this piece? Is it, am I going to be frustrated or angry because I've gotten in over my head or I'm doing pieces that again are taking like six hours a piece to do like the Keanu's like um, when I know what's involved with it, is that something I actually want to follow through on? Only after that, do I ask myself, is this going to sell? Only like the fourth question I ask myself is, do I think this will sell? And then I ask myself, am I going to be butthurt if it doesn't sell? Mm, That's a good question. And then the last thing I consider, and this is just my approach, the last thing I consider is, well, if it does sell, will I make any money off of it? Mm. Um, so like, if I, were, if I did this full time, if, if this was my living, I would have to change the order of those. But I think the, still one, the, the first question would still be, do I love this idea and can I execute this idea? Um, if this was my job, then the third one would be like, will this idea sell? 
what are the margins of making it? Like actually having to think through the business side of how much will it cost and how much will I make and whatever. And then do I actually want to make it once I've, I've thought of all that. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's, do I love it? Can I do it? Do I actually want to do it <laughs> once I've considered what I need to, to do it? Yeah. And then will it sell? Am I going to be upset or have my ego bruised if it doesn't sell? And if it will sell, will I make any money off it? And that's what I consider before I say, okay, I'm going to do a project. Um, so it, at no point am I worried about, is this original or, yeah, you know, I don't want to step on people's toes. I don't want to copy ideas. And I try to be very aware of that. Um, but, you know, there's, there's ideas I had. It's, it's funny. I had started designing a, uh, a killer bootleg uh, phantom star killer um, popsicle, like mm-hmm. ice cream truck popsicle thing. And I was trying to figure out like how to do it. I was like, oh, this idea is, I, I really like this idea. Maybe I'll play with it. But it, you know, it's, it wasn't mine. It's killers. And it was sort of an homage. And, yeah. And then uh, Junkfed put out that piece totally without us talking at all. Yeah. He drew the piece of that popsicle. And I was like, he did that a thousand times better than I ever could. Mm. So that was an area where I was like, all right, well, like I'm not going to be able to top that. And I've got plenty of other projects I want to work on. So I sort of scrapped that one. Yeah. Um, if it was something I was like a hundred percent on, like I really wanted to make it, then I pro- I would have contacted Junkfed and said, "Dude, that piece is great. I had the similar idea. I think I'm going to move forward and like talk to him about it." But so I, I'm aware. I try to be cautious not to copy. But if I'm really into something and I have the idea on my own, I'd still yeah. probably follow through with it. You know. So yeah, which is such a weird thing for the scene, right? Like. It- one, the fact that all of us can keep track of who's making what is incredible to me. Right. <laughs> like for some reason, we're able to articulate, no, this this artist did this and they're all. It's a weird Instagram uh, obsession. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, but what's crazy is being in this. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Earth to Kentucky. Aliens have landed, Earthling. I want lowbrow art and bootleg toys. Toys, 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 toys. Well, you've come to the right place. Earth to Kentucky is a shop for folks who love vintage sci fi, lowbrow, and art bootleg toys. Toys, toys, toys. They're located over there at 836 Main Street, Covington, Kentucky. Toys, toys, toys. They carry original art, vintage action figures, designer bootleg toys, and toys, 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 and t shirts. Designed exclusively for their store by some of their favorite artists. Thank you, Earthling. I enjoy Earth to Kentucky. I have all my favorite bootleg art toys. toys. Hey, look at that over there. It's a spaceship. Yeah. I need to go now. Someone's filming me in my spaceship. Shop now. www.earthtokentucky.com. That's earth2kentucky.com. Or just land your spaceship when they're open. So-called knockoff scene, I guess. We still have to be careful with that, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's still something. That's the hardest part to explain. One of my good friends, he had asked, like, what's the point of bootleg figures? What do you, and, I, and it comes back to the thing of like, I, maybe I don't make bootlegs, but I make these knockoff toys or whatever I make. And he asked the question, does it matter if you copy off someone else, if they've already taken it from someone? Mm-hmm. And that's, look, that's yeah. a really good question. And, and I mean, I know what I think, but, yeah. but you it's it's a pretty indefensible standpoint to be you stole from me and then I stole from George Lucas, you know, yeah. it, it's a hard, it's a hard place to go. And 
that's another reason I think people like doing the original stuff or like yeah. lean towards the original stuff is if you, it, it, you know, Dollar uh, Slice made Big Red Wolf. And if somebody else makes another Big Red Wolf, it's very easy to say, well, you ripped that off, you mm-hmm. know, but someone else can make another Wolfman, no problem. Someone else, could, you know, there, there's, you, you, you don't want to step on exactly what somebody did. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a hard thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I put out the severed limbs, they got really, really successful. And I did a lot of searching, like Google searching before I put it out, search mm-hmm. severed limbs, like Star Wars, cut off hands, toys, all this stuff. And I didn't find anything. And so severed limbs came out and they got really popular. And I started getting bombarded by one toy maker in particular who kept calling me a thief and a fraud. And I was like, you'd missed it or something. What are you talking about? Thief or fraud? I don't know. I don't, I don't know you. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then finally he said, so-and-so did this first. So I went to so-and-so's page and I clicked on it and they had done a severed limb. It was different. They just cut it off the hand and put it on a card. And it was, so it was very different from my execution. I didn't find it in all of my Google searching, you know, so and I did a pretty deep dive, on yeah. it, but uh, but he was a toy maker who some people knew. And so I contacted him and I said, Hey man, I- I'm really sorry. Like I didn't see your piece. I did these. And he wrote back and he was like, your work's great, man. That's awesome. Go have fun with it. And I was like, cool. The toy maker who was yelling at me about it didn't have anything to do with this person. They were just yeah. playing plot police. Right. Um, and since I've done my severed limbs, uh, there have been two or three other toy makers who have done versions of it. Mm-hmm. you know and i don't get in there and yell at them like we're all swimming in the same waters eventually we're going to come up with these similar ideas you know yeah so uh some of them are not very well done some of them are done better than mine <laughs> you <Yeah>. know but <laughs> but i don't own i don't own that uh i'm proud of the pieces i made and, and people recognize my work that know it you know uh if someone were to wholesale copy what i did Mm-hmm. down to the name and you know whatever like those cards if you look at the severed limb cards i didn't just take frames from the movies i they're altered so i've changed things you know if someone were to take what i did that would be different like yeah. just copy the piece directly but when someone takes the concept of i'm going to make a, a action figure of luke's hand cool like, yeah look, i'm not what am i going to do about it like i don't know that so yeah it's a weird it's a weird thing that we have to deal with um but again, I just approach things with, from like genuinely, what do you want to do? And yeah, being careful not to step on others' toes while not like, you know, pussyfooting around an idea. Yeah. And I think what is interesting around that and around the original character idea, like there's one person I know that, um, that I've watched his process and I would, I could never even say that those are from it's Kerfloss when he's like mm-hmm. carving these characters from wax. And like, it's like, man, that, that is the original, like there's an out, I don't have that skill set. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about original, I'm more like the beginnings of killer. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so right. it's always tough to even acknowledge when people are like, Oh, make original stuff. Right. Sure. But that's not my skill set. Right. And and there's there's no right or wrong way. I mean, yeah. there's no there's no rule for how the scene needs to operate. And there's no I mean, look, to me the the, the rule is be kind. Like yes. be kind, make cool shit with people you enjoy. That's the rule, right? Yeah. If, if just Bill and Ted's it, 
be excellent to each other. That's yeah. the rule. Beyond that, we're making art. Yeah. <laughs> go, you know, That's go so make real. stuff that makes you feel good. Go make things that make you feel inspired. Make things that yeah. when you walk away from it, like my goal is if I make a piece and none of it sells, I'm still psyched on it because I made something that I want. Yeah. That's my goal. And I don't always hit it. And that's a fairly new goal because I certainly in the past have made pieces specifically because I thought they would sell. Yeah. Um, and there's a business aspect to it and we need to acknowledge that and you have to be aware of it. And we could talk, spend a whole episode talking about approaching it as a business, right? But I'm lucky that I'm in the position where it's not my job or unlucky as some would say, because some think it's great to have it be the job, right? Yeah. But for me, it wouldn't work. For me, if this was my job, I would be frustrated and not happy. Mm -hmm. um, so because I know that about myself, because I know how I want to approach toy making, I'm giving myself the freedom to quote unquote fail by having something that doesn't sell. But if I put out a piece that I really like, then I succeeded. Then I did it right. Yeah. And I hope that the world likes it. I hope that I'm in touch with something that other people connect with. Um, but I'm, I'm not always, you know, and that's the way it is. One of the questions I like asking on these episodes is this. So you, you, you're going to have to, we're going to forethought here. Okay. Three, five, and 10 years from now, where do you see this scene headed? Because I think uh, to preface it, when we say things like, um, like maybe this will be, it'll be considered art or considered something else later on, or when we, we have that in mind of what we're comparing it to. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I found, I find myself like bogged down by that. Cause I'm like, Oh, maybe this will be as good as that, but right. it's not that. Yeah. So right. three, five and 10 uh three i think we're going to be in a very similar place to where we are now i think okay. we'll be a small close-knit scene i think we'll have intermittent breakout pieces uh intermittent media coverage based on the novelty of it um yeah. i don't think this is going to explode into some big natural national phenomenon in three years i don't even think it'll explode into some national phenomenon in five years mm -hmm. um i think the interesting thing is i think that in three years, half the people that are doing it here won't be doing it anymore. Oh, okay. I think the life cycle that I've sort of seen uh, for a lot of people to get into it is about three years. Um, and then they're done making toys altogether or, or they leave the scene? Like, what does it look like? Oh, I mean, a lot of them. I can't speak. Obviously, everybody's situation is different. Yeah, I yeah. can't speak specifically, but... Um, there's something very uh, world poker tour about bootleg toy making, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and what I mean by that was, you know, you remember when poker exploded, like, I don't know how many years ago it was, like 10 years ago, right? Yep. And it went from nothing to like, everybody's playing Texas Hold'em all the time. Yeah. And part of the reason was because the way poker is set up and the poker championships are set up, literally anybody can walk into them if they have the buy-in money and compete. Mm -hmm. And there were people who were not pro players who were winning championships. Yeah. So everybody flocked to it, right? Everybody runs to it. And it's fun. There's ways to make money. And we're doing late night poker games with friends and online poker and blah, 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 blah. blah. It just becomes this huge thing, right? Yeah. It goes for about three years. And then what people realized is poker is really freaking hard. Mm -hmm. Anybody can play it. 
But to play it well, you have to be a mathematician and you have to be a psychologist. The people that play well understand the probability of every single possible scenario and they understand reading people and weighing the odds on when to bet and when not to bet. Yeah. It's a lot of knowledge you have to have. And sure, you can catch lucky streaks and you can even win a championship off luck, right? Yeah. But it's a lot harder than the people that do this day in and day out have really honed the skill at it. I think bootleg toys is very similar, right? So you come in and it is accessible. You can get the materials, typically. Um, there's enough tutorials and there's enough of a, a willing brain trust to teach you how to actually do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming up with consistent ideas is hard. Meeting the deadlines is hard. Getting yeah. things out in, in people's hands, dealing with broken product and the customer service issues that come with being a solopreneur, essentially. Um, and then maintaining that and realizing that there's just not that much money in it. Mm-hmm. People come in, they do it for a while, and then they get tired. They get burned out. They say, I, you know, the juice isn't worth the squeeze anymore. And they tend to sort of fade off to do other things. Yeah. Um, some of my favorite toy makers, Falcon, who's probably the biggest influence on me, owns an arcade now. Hasn't made a toy in years. Yeah. Credenda, same thing. Huge influence on me. And he's making some some more stuff again, but not really toys. Toys. He's making more art pieces that kind of function as toys. He's moved more towards painting and, mm-hmm. and design. You know. Um, and that's just the natural flow of it. You know, I took two years off for God's sake. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that there's a good chance that a significant people portion of the people who have discovered it over the, the last year or two won't be here in, in five years. And that's mm-hmm. okay. Like, you don't have to come and stay. Come enjoy for a while. Pitch yeah. a tent. Make some s'mores. Let's hang out. And when you've when you've gotten from this scene what you feel you want to get from it it's okay to move on it's also okay to come back (laughs) you know this is not like it's not some weird cult it's not (laughs) you know one of us right yeah um so yeah i i i think you see a fair amount of turnover and the longer you've been here you see a lot of people come and go Mm. um i think it's interesting that we're seeing now a lot of sort of secondary things open up around it this podcast is a great example of that yeah um you know dk con is a great example of that uh same with assembly required and some of the other stuff that's spinning out of this you know that might have more longevity than some of the toys because it's about a scene Mm -hmm. you're documenting the scene you're participating in a different way you know um and that's how i stayed connected with it when i took my break was i was doing the stuff with with dove yeah. Uh, you know, otherwise I might have disappeared into obscurity when I took that time off from yeah. making, you know. So, so you know, I, I think three to five years, I think this, the, the scene will probably be pretty similar. I, I would, I think that probably in five years, whether it's through Dove or through somebody else, there will probably be a book about the scene that has been released at that point. And that could help spurn it. Uh, spurn is that the right that's not the right word uh move it forward i guess or get it in front of eyes that that hadn't seen it before yeah um and i think that would be the moving point is when there starts to be more media around it uh whether it's a book or i don't think there will be a tv show around it but if there were to be um you know something like that that catches people's attention for a little bit 
but even then attention is fleeting mm-hmm. you know we're all talking about squid games right now and we won't be talking about squid games next year that's just yeah. the way it is you know um so yeah 10 years uh it's hard to say in 10 years i think it, i think it kind of depends on um I hesitate to use this term, but I'm going to use it because I don't have a better one. It's good. Kind of de- it kind of depends on the pillars of, of the community, right? Okay. Dove puts a lot of time, energy, and resources into the community um, and keeping it going. You know, if Dove gets tired of it and says, I don't want to do this anymore, which I don't think is going to happen. But if yeah. he were to do that, would the community continue without sort of a uh, someone that, that's mentoring and shepherding it along in that way, you know? probably someone can step in and fill that you know but every art scene sort of has its champion um you know the galleries that the champion certain types of work or you know and dove is sort of the champion for the scene mm-hmm. uh, right now um so uh, i think a lot of it sort of depends on the business side of it in 10 years and is there someone championing it to, to help it you know stabilize and, and grow um or is it just a bunch of artists making stuff and putting it up? Yeah. So 10 years, 10 years is hard. 10 years is hard to pick, but I, I think three years, we're probably in a very similar place where we are now, like I said, just with different, different faces in the scene. And then five years, I think it will probably have some growth because of some media presence. Yeah. Uh, 10 years. It's hard to say. Yeah. Cause I think, um, if three years we're getting that like sporadic media presence and stuff that, that can be seen. If you look at, uh, miles, uh, sir collect a lot, mm-hmm. like he'll produce something and the local news will pick it up and run sure. it, and yeah. it, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, the same Dan O'Brown has the same thing. Like yeah. advice comes and does a story on him, and, and, you know, every year at Comic-Con, there's some, especially when it's in person, there's some news outlet that stumbles across the DK table and was like, what is this? And they yeah. do a the whole story about it. And every year there's someone who thinks they've discovered the secret underground thing that's been around for, <laughs> yeah. you know, for a lot longer than they know about. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, everything ebbs and flows. I, I think the people that really love it will still be around doing it. Um I, I hope that there are more people that are able to make a full-time living out of it that want to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I hope that there are still shops that are able to support themselves. Like, you know, I, I, I think Earth to Kentucky is here to stay for the long run. Yeah. Um, you know, but I hope that Earth to Kentucky and the other shops like that are still operating and, and managing to do well. Um, you know, one thing is we're seeing this crazy surge in collectors that yeah. came out of the pandemic right like baseball cards went through the roof and then pokemon cards went through the roof and now other collectible cards are through the roof and action figures are starting to do the same thing and yeah so we're seeing this surge in like commodity collection um particularly like pop culture based commodity collection yeah and so that could really help like that could be something that surges the scene into a new sort of success tier i guess um but you know it, it, it's hard it's I, I, um, as much as, you know, I don't love the concept of flippers because I want people that want the pieces to get them. They do have set values for things. I don't know what most of my work is worth because most of it has not been resold. Okay. I've only seen one severed limb ever sold. 
Uh, I know a handful of some of my older figures got sold, but mostly those went back to Dove and Dove resold them. There's a couple on eBay, but my most popular figures, I've never once seen go up for sale. So I don't know what they're worth. I have no idea what they would actually sell for if they went up. So why is it, so that dictates, does that dictate what you sell for or what they're worth? It dictates what they're worth. Like what, quoting, what the world views it as being worth, right? So uh, if Sexy Sax or my, my, Tom, Tim, uh, Timmy Capella, the, the I still believe Lost yeah. Boys figure. If that were to go up and sell for $300, then it would now be worth around $300. It's what we're seeing with the video games thing, right? Like someone sold a million dollar Nintendo cartridge and now everybody thinks they're all worth a million dollars and they're not. Yeah. Um, but that is where those lines start getting drawn, right? Yeah. That secondary market is where those lines start getting drawn. And because the secondary market for most bootleg stuff is not super super strong yet mm-hmm. uh it's hard to see like what the value is in that scene and and from an art scene perspective that's kind of what matters yeah i don't think that's what matters <laughs> but from <laughs> from an art you know for people that are buying pieces as an investment there's only yeah. a handful that they're buying as investments and it's like you know the Sucklord 66 figure is an investment the original killer bootleg um phantom star killer i think that's kind of rising as an investment piece um neither of which i own by the way yeah um, i don't own any of those pieces you've said <laughs> <laughs> i mean i've got a pretty good suckler collection but i don't yeah. i don't own any of those um so you know again from that like people buying art as investment that tends to be how people define the success of a scene how yeah. much are they willing to pay for a piece? And then how much are they willing to resell? How much can that piece resell for later? I hope to not be that cynical. I hope mm-hmm. to look at it as like the value that people are bringing to the scene. And when I see a new piece that I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe how great that is. Like when Green Plastic Tunnels puts something out and it takes me 45 minutes to wrap my hand around it and I can't stop thinking about it. That to me is what the scene is about. Yeah. When Pendragon puts something else and I'm so envious of the way that he executed it because it just is so well done from start to finish mm-hmm. that is the stuff i think about um when barbarian rage's book is released which is fantastic and the amount of work and time and effort he puts into making every single one of those pieces and building this world and writing the story that's stuff that i think about like these are the things that really get me excited you know um those are just three examples there's tons of examples in the scene yeah. uh, of pieces that do that but you know, uh, I think it's because I'm in the scene and because I take inspiration from the scene that those are the things that fuel me. Um, yeah, I would, I'd love for my pieces to go for hundreds and hundreds of dollars because I'm a narcissist and I would like the ego stroke from that, but I don't see anything from that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to sort of puzzle through, but, um, I don't know. It just, I'm in this very like touchy feely hippy dippy moment of like, just make the stuff you want to make and love it and then support the people you like and everything is going to be great. And, yeah. Um, you know how realistic that is. I don't know, but that to me right now in my life feels like the most natural place to approach art from. Yeah. You know, my, when I think about this scene, my fear is that it ends up like beanie babies almost just sure. a rise and a plummet to no end like it just yeah. keeps plummeting well i think we have to rise a little further before we rest yeah. <laughs> uh, i mean 
Yeah. The, the difference between this and a Beanie Baby or a Funko Pop or whatever, I think is the point of entry. Mm. Is that part of the reason that Beanie Babies and Funko Pops have this crazy collectible frenzy around them is because you can buy one for a Beanie Baby was what, three or $4? Yeah. A Funko Pop, if it's a, you know, uh, the retail on one is 20 maybe. I don't actually know, 15. Yeah. So it's this whole uh, American Pickers idea that you can buy something for $5 and flip it for 500 mm-hmm. later that, that fuels that. And I think there's definitely some speculation happening within the toy scene. Um, but I don't think it's in the same vein as, as one of those simply because mm. the point of entry is higher and because they are handmade, there's, there's more, there's I think more awareness around it that it's like you're buying a piece that someone created. Um, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm pulling that out of my ass. I could be yeah. totally wrong, but, well, but my, that's my guess. My weirdness that I think of too with bootleg figures in this scene is that we so as we start either we're producing at certain levels like usually my figures I love selling them 30 40 bucks because it's Mm -hmm. like it gets them in people's hands and I've seen them go all the way up to 115 bucks and then even higher for some of them Mm -hmm. and but then when you get to a point at which let's say you get a deal with super seven, let's say you get whatever with another toy company or something, all of a sudden your figures go for 17 bucks because they're being mass produced or mm-hmm. however. So it's like we have this meteoric rise and then it's like, I did this and now I'm like, it, so it's weird for me to think that we will have the same almost level of where more, more people see it if our pieces are so expensive past anything else. Right. Well, it's, yeah, it's this perceived value thing. And I mean, my pieces typically now are priced at a range that I'm very comfortable pricing them at. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the market's comfortable with it. And I think, um, you know, the, the, the Rod Sirloin piece, for example, is, is, is being sluggish in sales. And I don't know if that's because I priced it too high or if it's because I made a piece that is not accessible or mm. if I made something that people are like, that's funny, take a picture and walk away. A lot of my work tends to be like, like when I would set up at Decon, so many people walk up to the booth and ask, can I take a picture? And be like, yeah, sure. And they take it and laugh and say, that's great. And leave. Mm. Like, right. I, that's the risk when you're making humor-based pieces. It's like, oh, yeah. that's really funny you know, walk away. Whereas again, I, not to keep banging on Pendragon here because I'm just sort of in <laughs> Pendragon mode, but, but when I look at one of his pieces, I have a totally different response and I understand like, yeah. Looking at a picture of that piece with a lenticular card does not do it justice. I will, I need to own and hold that piece. Mm-hmm. Whereas you could probably look at a picture of a severed limb and have the same reaction as if you actually own the severed limb. Right. right? Like, so when you tread in humor, it, it tends to be a little bit, there's a bit of a risk of that, but um, it's really easy to define the value by dollar, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I try not to, I, I know you have to, cause you have to pay for what you did. And I need to, I have to justify the time I spend cause I'm not spending it with my family when I'm making toys, you know? Yeah. That's a big one. 
Um, and that's hard. Like, so, so I have set a price threshold now that I'm comfortable at. Mm -hmm. This is what I feel like. I genuinely feel like the work I put into this toy is, is good at this. And, and there's a little bit of that, that, yeah, there's some name recognition, you know, I've been around for long enough that, um, and I have enough of a following that, yeah, I can put myself at, at, at $75. $75 was the point where I was like, whoa, when I started collecting, I was like, that's way too much. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay that much for it, you know? Um, and I'm going to have to keep evaluating that. Like that's a hard, that's a hard balancing act to, to figure out is, is pricing. Pricing is one of the hardest parts of the game. Mm -hmm. And it's like the ickiest part. It's the least fun part. Making is the fun part. Having to decide how much you're going to take yeah. from someone to get it. <laughs> that's sort of a, you know, but uh, you know, the market will tell me if I'm totally off base or if I'm right. Um, and then I'll decide if I give a shit what the market says. <laughs> yeah. I may not, you know, like I'm, I'm, if I'm content just making these things. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep making them, you know? Yeah. I think uh, that's like, I, I love the current pieces I'm making. Mm -hmm. And if I sat on all of them, I would still be so excited about yeah. those pieces. Yeah. Also sure. as a pricing thing, do you know Ragnar that name? Yeah. The Brandon Ragnar, the artist. I, I don't know the first name, but he makes there, that meaty ass turtle. Oh, that's so there's two. So there's Brandon Ragnar Johnson, who's like a graphic designer artist. And then there's, yeah, Ragnar, who does the vinyl toys. So yeah, I'm, a, so, I'm aware of both. But yeah, other Ragnar, not Brandon Ragnar. <laughs> uh, yeah. See, so, uh, he, I saw, I went and I was looking on Instagram and he popped up and like his work is just fantastic. I don't mm -hmm. know what, how he makes it or whatever. Um, but he messed with how I value myself or value art because that giant piece, which is, it's just a massive turtle. Mm -hmm. I thought was like 85 or 90 bucks mm -hmm. fully painted. Mm -hmm. And I like, I don't know. I it's, it's tough for me to even articulate like, because we don't all have a scale. This is so much about what we think, what we value, what we are. Mm -hmm. that it was weird that I almost wanted to reach out and be like, bro, sell that for like 200 bucks. What's happening here? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and I mean, that piece has been around for a while that came out a couple of years ago. And, yeah. And, um, but yeah, I don't, it, it's the business side of toy making is a complicated one. And it's one that I think people don't really think about when they get into it. You yeah. Know, I think, I, I don't know. I, this is a stereotype, but I think there are a lot of people that think I can get into this. I'm going to make some money. Yeah. You're not, you know, you're going to make a little bit, it's but if you make it, yeah. If you make enough to pay for the next project then you've done an incredibly successful job yeah. with the piece that you just made, you know, um, like I said, at some level you have to approach it as a business. Yeah. And I do go through, and even though I don't, I say I don't care. I do the math on every piece. I know how much it costs to produce a piece. Oh yeah. I know how much. I know how much. What my margin is on every single piece. You know the stuff that it's that's at Earth to Kentucky right now, like with the margin that I pay to him, which is incredibly fair. Uh, and yeah, what is that margin by the way? I don't. I I never remember what he takes out of our things. Uh, I believe it's thirty percent. Okay. Yeah, which is for what he does is beyond fair. Yeah. Beyond, beyond, beyond fair. Um, so when I figure in his margin, I figure in 
the cost of resin, the cost of paint, the cost of blisters, the cost of making the cards. I know what my pieces cost wise is. Yeah. So then everything else is how much is my time, you know, and, and that's the tricky one. Cause I can say, well, at my day job, I get paid this. Yeah. And that's, you know, five times what I'm going to get, I'm going to make off of making a toy hourly. You know? Yeah. So, so, you know, when people, when people say, um, you know, dude, why are you charging $75 for this? That's a ripoff. It's like, well, I get paid $75 an hour. That toy took me four hours to make. So as far as the way I see it is you just got three hours for free. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but yeah, you could look at it as a ripoff. Like that's cool. Don't, you don't have to buy it, you know? Um, yeah. I think full disclosure, that's why I get, I am less inclined to make original characters or to make things uh, from scratch. Mm-hmm. And like the joke toys are so enticing mm-hmm. because some of those take me 10 minutes and they sell immediately. Sure. Absolutely. Which is so ridiculous and pisses me off inadvertently. Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at like one of my, this is one of my absolute grail pieces. Yeah. I have not been able to get one despite trying, despite going to other states to buy it. And it's Am so I going to need to find you something? I don't think you'll <laughs> be able to, but yeah, if you can. Uh, <laughs> um, Obvious Plant made a figure called Weird Dogs. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's a baggie full of horses. And that to me might be the funniest toy ever made. Mm-hmm. It says weird dogs. It's a bag full of horses. Uh, I think it retails for 20 bucks. I can't find it anywhere. I wrote it. I went to, they sell it at the Meow Wolf in Vegas. Uh, I, yeah. I went there. I was so psyched. I was finally going to buy one. And I asked the person when I got there, like, oh no, those sell out within minutes. When we get them, we don't have them. Mm-hmm. God damn it. So I wrote him a message. Um, uh, good interview with him, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I wrote him a message. I was like, Hey man, it's it's the only time I've ever pulled a DKE card. It's like it's Chris from DKE uh, <laughs> DKE Con. I'm dying to get one of these weird dogs toys. Yeah. I will pay you. What do you want? Mm-hmm. He didn't even respond. Of course, he didn't respond. He's got so much going on. <laughs> Why is he going to respond to one guy saying begging him to make one toy? Yeah. Um, so, uh, but that's plastic horses in a header card, right? They, they, there's very there's a lot of thought, a mm-hmm. lot of thought. And executionally, it's a very simple toy to execute. Put horses yeah. in a bag, staple the card on. Done. Once the card's designed, the joke's designed, it's great. Mm-hmm. But conceptually, it's a perfect toy, as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah. humor-wise, I, I, I can't say how much I love that piece. And eventually, I will own it. I just don't feel like paying $250 on eBay for it. Um, so he, like, that interview was cool, and he... But he is like the nth degree of something vastly different than the norm, mm-hmm. I think. And he, that joke toy that takes me 10 minutes sells for 25 bucks. His, is, it could be 10 minutes and it's like 450 bucks. Yeah. That is right. like, I think his work is so funny to me. Like I, I would go anywhere to find some of his pieces, but his work also offsets like it makes the cost and like and what we sell things for so problematic well it's there's a huge part of the value of art quote unquote whatever is is in the name of the person that made it yeah right i mean that's just part of that's just how it is you know um he has a name dano brown has a name like these guys have developed a name and a following 
that adds to the value of their pieces. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I am not saying those aren't worth $400. I'm, I would never say that one of Dan's pieces is not worth $1,200 on eBay because his work is fantastic, you know, yeah. but they're not just buying the figure. They're buying the figure, they're buying the concept, they're buying the execution, but they're also buying the name. Mm-hmm. Every artist, that's, that's the curse of every artist. You make good work, you want to live and die by your work, but ultimately it's your name that's going to carry a lot of value. Um, yeah. And that's why I try not to get too bummed out by like art world speculation and the speculation market. And, you know, I know speculators have bought my pieces, I, you know, I, uh, and hopefully they've sold them and they've made a little money, but no one's looking at their list and saying, oh man, I hope there's a janky toys release. Because <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> my name, for better or for worse, doesn't carry that kind of clout, you know? Yeah. Um, and very few do. It's really hard. Like, you know, uh, there's for every Alex Pardee who, who really is generating, you know, great work on consistently fantastic work and, and selling it for higher and higher values and developing a name. There's 400 other artists with the same talent level that just haven't gotten that recognition. Their name hasn't gotten that, that bump. And so their work doesn't sell for, for as much. And I certainly don't mean that to sound despairing of Alex because Alex is one of my favorite people on the planet and his work is beyond inspiring to me. His approach to art, his approach to marketing, his approach to everything. Yeah. One of the biggest influences I've ever had as far as how to look at art as a business and look at just, I don't know, just creating a body of work that's meaningful um, is really, really... Uh, I don't know. I can't. I can't say enough good stuff about Alex. He's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I don't mean that to sound to sound negative, but um, but yeah, you know, he he's worked hard to get his name where it is, and there's a lot of other really talented artists who don't have that, uh, you know, don't don't have that name recognition or that name attachment to their work, and so they don't uh, they don't command those the values. Janky, thank you so much for being on here. Uh, my pleasure man thanks for for asking me to come back and i i have no idea if this was entertaining or enlightening at all but i always i loved it uh just talking with you Toys on Tap. The next episode. It's great. It's amazing. You're going to want to listen to it. It's not right now, though. You're going to have to wait till the next episode to listen to it. Oh, when's that? The next one. Cool. Toys on Tap. The next one's going to be good, too. So stay tuned and, and, and listen to that. Toys on Tap. Awesome.
Janky, thank you so much for being on here. Uh, My pleasure, man. Thanks for for asking me to come back. And I I have no idea if this was entertaining or enlightening at all, but I always I loved enjoy, it. Uh, I just talking with you, man. <laughs>